On today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, we are continuing our generational leadership series, talking with baby boomer Jim Lepresti, president of Coherus Consulting and professor at the University of Colorado Denver Business School. Jim is going to share with us his unique insights as a professor and consultant working with multiple generations. Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall here and I am talking today to Jim Lepresti. He is joining us to represent part of the baby boomer generation as we talk about generational leadership and how different generations come and connect and interact with each other in the workforce. Jim, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Jen. Now, Jim, for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, Let's see. I, I am a professor at the University of Colorado in Denver, and I teach leadership and management. I teach both um, undergrads, but mostly graduate students. So I get a whole mix of generations in those classes. Uh, And I also have my own consulting practice and I consult and coach, professional coach, um, people in all different industries. On the topics of performance, leadership development. Strategic planning, management, leadership. The whole gamut. So what they need to be effective as leaders. Absolutely, especially emotional emotional intelligence. That's my wheelhouse, if you will. So emotional and social intelligence, which I've been teaching actually to the Denver Police Department, um, climate scientists for NOAA, and uh, UCAR, the University Corporation for Atmospheric Research, and um, Home Advisor. Oh, wow. Yes. That's fantastic. I mean, emotional intelligence is something that I think, regardless of what generation you belong to, it's absolutely something that's essential for all of us to understand. It's for every human. Right. That walks this planet. If you don't have it, people know it. And when you do have it, (laughs) people know that too. So, yeah. So let's start out by just asking you from the baby boomer perspective, Jim, how do you define leadership? You know, I just um, talked about this yesterday in my management class for my MBA course. And I, it just kind of occurred to me when we were speaking in class, I said, guys, I'm going to give you a, a kind of my take on leadership uh, and management. And I said, particularly leadership, it's a verb. Um, people consider it a title. I'm a leader. Or they consider it a noun, leadership. But it's a verb. It's behaviors. So um, if we consider the behaviors that are necessary for leadership, then suddenly we're not thinking, well, I'm a leader, so I have to do this or I do that. Um, I deserve this or I don't deserve that. Um, So the whole concept of leadership as a verb uh, takes it over and above an organizational kind of context. And it means we should behave this way every day. Um, When you leave your corner office on the 65th floor of the World Trade Center or whatever, and um, go out to lunch, you still take those, you should take those leadership behaviors or qualities with you um, to the wait staff and, and the maitre d' or the, the woman at the door or what have you. So um, for me, considering leadership as a verb, it's a whole set of behaviors that we all should, emotional intelligent behaviors that we all should practice. That's such a powerful definition because I feel like it's accessible. It's a way of being. It is. It's exactly what it is. Because being is a verb. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even thinking that it's not just something where we draw on this behavior or we show up that way for the eight, nine hours, however long we're at our jobs. And then when we go home, we show up with someone else. It's really, who are we when we approach that wait staff, as you talked about, to our children, to the community, to our employees. Leadership is the way that we show up and interact with everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what makes for authentic leadership is just being yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, I love that you're a professor and a consultant because it lends itself to meeting with a large demic or a large group of people oh, absolutely. that presumably have are and are from different generations. Yes. What differences in leadership do you notice and see across the generations? Um, So (laughs) for the millennials um, that I have both coached as well as um, taught, they see leadership in a little different light than say a baby boomer or even Gen X. Uh, For them, leadership is something you work toward 
Um, but you work toward, and, and I'm saying generally speaking, because they're not all like this. Sure, sure. I just want to preface at least this talk with, I don't put everybody in their little generational box and say, these are the qualities that make you a Gen X, a baby boomer, the greatest generation or, or a millennial. Um, there's a tendency, I'll use that word, uh, for uh, millennials, uh, or I guess they're called Gen Y, um, to be a little impatient about getting that leadership role. So it's, it's okay, I've been here for a year. Why aren't I leading a team yet? And I, and, and I actually encountered this with um, a group that I was working with in Pasadena, California last year, actually. Um, they, I was coaching some millennials and then some baby boomers who were much, much higher up. And it was a, an emerging leader program. And uh, my millennial coachees were, were saying, you know, I've been here for a year. I really should have a much bigger team. I said, you know, you already have a team for your age and experience that I think can teach you how to be better at what you do and how to discover yourself. Um, and, and again, this was all led from emotional intelligence because uh, you know, I would tell the millennials, this is about self-awareness and self-management. Understand who you are first and then manage your emotions, especially the impatience, if you will, if that's who you are. And, and um, as your coach, I see a little more impatience than I do with some other folks that I'm coaching, a little older, if you will. And um, they just look at me kind of confused and baffled and, and don't really understand that it takes time to build that self-awareness. And it certainly takes time once you understand what your hot buttons are, like I'm, I'm just not getting promoted and it's been three weeks, what's the story? Um, to manage that to manage that impatience or, or what have you. So baby boomers, completely different animal. Um, as far as the baby, and I've coached a heck of a lot of baby boomers. I am one, so I can relate to them better. And um, they have a sense of, of loyalty that uh, I, I understand most millennials would have a tendency not to because organizationally, the industries have all moved away from loyalty and it's, Hey, I can always fill this role with somebody else. So right. if you don't like it here, hit the pike. Right. Whereas my father, who was the greatest generation, and, and most of my peers and colleagues um, were treated with respect and in turn returned that respect to their you know, respected organizations. And um, so they were guaranteed work, if you will, or guaranteed is kind of a strange word anymore. Uh, but they knew that when they got up in the morning, they go into work and they weren't handed a pink slip and said, hey, you know, you're old. We can fill your job with somebody half your age and half your salary. So hit the pike. Um, that happens now, I think, far more frequently than it used to, say, 15, 20 years ago. So millennials don't have a sense of loyalty, nor have they any reason to have a sense of loyalty. Right. Whereas baby boomers still do despite the industry has moved away from, hey, we're going to protect you. Don't you worry about it. Right. Pensions, what the hell is a pension? Right, you know? we're not guaranteed that anymore. I mean, the not last even. recession in the U.S. definitely showed U.S. employees that companies, are, as you say it, are not invested in loyalty anymore. No. They're not necessarily going to offer the things that are promised when you initially accept that offer. Not even close, yeah. So, um, and I understand that and I work with them. Because that's a good reason to be impatient, if you look at it, is, you know, I'm not really guaranteed a job here. So I need to just build out my resume and I can see how they would be impatient. But everything in moderation, as the Greek said, you know, um, take it a little more slowly and, and build that self-awareness and that self-management. Then you start to build the relationships and make that network a lot larger and stronger and then people see your worth and you get promoted right so yeah it, it's it's interesting the gen z's are still very young so i, I don't know um i have a few in my undergraduate class but I, I haven't i don't know where they stand on leadership i suspect they probably carry a lot of the the millennial uh, perspectives with them especially the loyalty thing and what, the impatience what about the gen xers 
Gen Xers are... Um, I know, sometimes they get mislabeled as like the forgotten generation well, just because yeah. they aren't there in the same size as the boomers and the millennials. And maybe that's why I didn't mention them because I forgot them. <laughs> no, not really. We're, we're teasing, we accept Absolutely. all Absolutely, <laughs> no, no. And I have a lot of uh, my MBA students are Gen Xers and, and quite a few of my friends are Gen Xers. Gen Xers um, are, they have this kind of, I think they perceive themselves as somewhere caught between the, and this is a term that I constantly hear about millennials, that they're entitled. Um, I have plenty of millennial students, uh, both graduate, undergraduate, and um, clients who don't feel themselves entitled at all. Say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna earn what I receive. I'm not expecting someone to hand it to me. Um, Although there, I've, I've read all of the, the crap out there that's been written, and some of it's good, some of it is, is just opinion, um, that uh, the millennials are the entitled generation, so everything should be handed to them without doing much work. Whereas Gen X, I think Gen X are, um, they work very hard, and sometimes I think maybe they've been left out of the loop when it comes to... Um, understanding that they they were very different from the, the baby boomers in that the loyalty thing wasn't really bred into them either because again the industry has changed all industries have changed uh, organizational uh, behaviors changed towards their employees so when I worked at I worked at Lucent for four years and then went to Sun Microsystems a lot of Gen Xers there very loyal um, all thought this is going to be the job I will retire from. That wasn't Sun's idea, nor was it Lucent's. Lucent started, and it was their leadership. Their leadership were baby boomers who screwed up. And it was also uh, Sun Microsystems. Uh, they, and and I, any organization that fails and is either taken over or just goes bankrupt, it's always leadership. It'll go back to leadership. The employees are doing their work. Leadership is making the decisions around that work. And um, people are, are um, getting laid off in, in one round after another. And when you see that, especially the folks that I worked with at Sun Microsystems, when they see that, it, it, it makes them jaded. And so they get a little more hardened, if you will, and say, no, I'm just going to look after myself. So a lot of my Gen X friends and um, MBA students take care of themselves. I'm not saying they're selfish, not, not even close to being selfish. It's more like self-focused, that no one's going to take care of me, so I have to take care of myself. And I think that, you know, that makes total sense, given that they're dubbed the latchkey generation, where parents weren't there, right. they had to get that key from either that shoestring, which is... Well, we had a shoestring that was in our backpacks or underneath the doormat, however that went. Absolutely. And you had to fix yourself your meal, put yourself to bed, however that worked out. But yeah, there's a high sense of independence as yeah. a Gen Xer, just Absolutely. based on a lot of how they were raised. And self-reliance, self-reliance, um, because they were the latchkey generation, they had to fend for themselves. Now, that was something they did at home, but they also carried those behaviors to work with them. So they fend for themselves. They take care of themselves. Uh, I have, uh, I, I've worked with people um, at, in different uh, contexts, in different jobs as a consultant, and the Gen X project leads or program leaders took care of their people. They really did. They took very good care of their people. They also took care of themselves while they were doing it. Baby boomers take care of their people, I think baby boomers had a tendency to maybe take care of their people a little bit more than taking care of themselves. Millennials, I don't even know there yet. Um, I think there's a little bit what you see and it's, I still think that, you know, it's still out to be determined to mm -hmm. see like how they actually make that yeah, impact. But absolutely. knowing that they desire so much of that mentorship, connection, yeah. supporter, I imagine, and some of them that I know are actually pretty... <clears throat> they're very attentive yeah. to how they can support Yes, because they want people to feel like they have someone that they can turn to and go to. But, yeah. you know, in terms of the true, how they end up 
influencing as higher level leaders. I think the jury's still out on that one. Yep. And I think it'll be out for a little while. Right. They yeah. still need more experience and time in the workforce. I think we really, really need to be cautious about pigeonhole everyone just because of their age. Yes, absolutely. When they were born. So I, I try to avoid that at all costs. Yes, there are tendencies and behaviors that as, as a unit um, of you know 20 years that we all share in a generation, that there are trends, there are um, cultural values and norms that shift and change. And that influences who we are and how we behave. But there are plenty of people who are very independent thinkers and don't follow the crowd. Uh, I have students, when I ask how many of you have social media, most of the room hands go up. But I would say typically in a class of both undergraduates and graduates, there's always between five and 10 in a group of maybe 40 who don't have social media and don't care to. And that always strikes me as, wow, that's unusual because it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. But, and then I had a, a student with me in my international entrepreneurship program in Barcelona who didn't even have a smartphone. And this woman is 28. Wow. And she had a flip phone. She said, nope, it's, it's too much of a distraction. And I said, that's funny because when I talk about smartphones in all of my classes, I say, put them away. Uh, it's a handheld weapon of mass distraction. So I, I don't want you looking at it or wondering who just texted you, who just liked you or tweeted you or what have you. Put it away. It's a distraction. You know, it's I think the cell phone and that's what's so interesting is initially, I think with cell phones, it was very much the younger generations that grabbed onto that heads down in the phones. But now as smartphones are becoming the reality, right. I feel like you're seeing that across every single generation where they're either so immersed in social media or some type of game that they play or something where it's hard to get anyone to put their phones down and yeah. connect into their present life. Yeah. Which I think, you know, again, you would initially put that as a challenge within the millennials, but as it's becoming more and more common, I think it's, you know, kind of infecting, if you will, all it the is. generations. It is, it is. And I think as older generations, I think use it more as expression it's a tool where you can express yourself and social media as well as smartphones. So, whereas I think the younger generations use it for impression. So it's to build this narrative of who I am. You know, this is me and my bagel in the morning. And uh, this is uh, me walking along the beach, 43 different pictures of me walking along the beach to make everybody go, oh, I wish I were there with you or oh, you were so lucky. So there's a huge difference I'm finding between the younger generations that use social media, which includes smartphones, uh, as impression rather than as expression. Express yourself. You know, texting people and, and telling them something with actually in whole sentences rather than just a bunch of acronyms. You know, OMG, FYI, uh, LOL, and on and on it goes. Um, I, I find my Boomer friends and Gen X friends will actually write me whole sentences. And when they misspell a word, they'll correct it and send it in the next text. You know, no way with, <laughs> with a, a, the younger folks. It's just right. get it out there. There's not enough time so, for that. They no, have to, no. They've got other people to text. I've got to get that award. <laughs> you know, the best texter, the best social media entity of... It's funny. I mean, I do know, and I, there's one person coming in mind, and I will just be nice and not out them. But one of the things that I tease her on is, and she is part of the Gen X generation, but she dictates all of her text messages. So they end up being full paragraphs because oh, she's okay. dictating like five sentences into one thing. And it's so funny because if you asked a someone that's just a little bit more familiar with texting and right. emojis and everything, they will do and probably send a very similar type of communication, but it will be a quarter of the information and words. Yes. Whereas I, 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 you know, I, um, I'm very, very particular about my emails and my texts. So I have to reread them, make sure there are no typos. Maybe it's because I have a PhD in English and it would look bad, but it, my grammar has to be perfect. My texting, if I, you know, that finger, uh, a word or what have you, and it's misspelled, I'll always correct it in the you know, immediate text. Follow-up, 
I'll get texts from so many different people from so many different generations. Nope, it's, although the older folks do tend to, they don't like to misspell because it makes them look bad, so. Yeah, that's how, exa that's how I was raised. Yeah, if you yeah, spell, you bet. If you don't spell correctly or if you don't have proper grammar, then you don't. It's basic communication skills, right? especially business communication skills. Right, and they are essential. We still need to know oh, yeah. how to properly, formally communicate. Yeah. Like we can't take everything and simplify it down to an emoji. It's not going to be as effective oh, in any God, way. Oh God, don't get me going but on emojis. But that is a whole other like, podcast. Oh uh, yeah. So in your role as a consultant, business owner, and professor, how do you bridge the generational gaps? Or how do you address the generational gaps in your classroom or your business? Do you feel, do you find yourself taking a different approach depending on who you're coaching or teaching? Yeah, I, I ask them how they perceive themselves which is probably a good place to start. So how do you perceive yourself, say, as a millennial? Um, you know, you've heard plenty of things about millennials, et cetera, et cetera. Do you see yourself as the typical millennial? And, uh, you know, more often than not, most of them say, not really. There are things that I see about myself that, uh, that are very typical with my friends, and they're all millennials or baby boomers, you know. I, there are things about me as a baby boomer that I see in my friends and, and how I perceive myself is for the most part pretty close with some variations and such um, that, you know, the, the baby boomer box. But um, I, I wanna know what makes them different. And so, especially with a class, I'll say, how many of you are millennials? And Typically, 70% of the room raise their hands. Do you ask this in your class? Oh, absolutely. To kind of get an understanding? Oh, sure. Oh, that's fantastic. Absolutely. How many of you are Gen X and a couple non-traditional age students? And uh, occasionally I have baby boomers too, who you know are going back for a, a degree or finishing up uh, a degree that they left you know, behind when they either had a family or, or you know, life interfered while they were making other plans. So, and then we talk about that because I want to understand the different generations learn things differently. And, and also how I present my material and what I say is also contingent upon different generational perceptions. So I want to say, okay, all of you millennials, do you perceive yourself as, and I'll have slides that here's the millennial kind of typical definition and then Gen X and then baby boomers. And uh, how many of these apply to you folks? And we'll spend an entire 75 minute or even um, hours on defining, because this is about self-awareness, of course, and, and managing how you define yourself and how you present yourself to the world. So we go through that. And, and I think that's critically important. I mean, I've, I've done consulting on generational um, leadership and how especially employers can work with different generations on their teams and such. It's, it's kind of like using the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs. Now the ENFPs, same thing with, they all have qualities that define them or that tendencies that define them. And same thing with millennials and baby boomers and Gen Xers and Generation Z. So, um, I want to understand those tendencies so I can work with them to help them understand themselves better. What, in your perspective, what do you admire about each generation? I mean, is there anything, I mean, cause we're talking about how there are different tech, there's different technology that influenced each generation. There's different historical events that Absolutely. influenced each generation. And so the generations have been, generalized right. into specific stereotypes, but they do all have their own, you know, beautiful qualities. What qualities do you admire from the generations? Uh, okay, to go back to earlier stuff, I think the loyalty of baby boomers is incredibly admirable because despite, <laughs> as time has progressed and being a baby boomer, I've seen where my loyalty uh, has changed but I still, there's still this strong inclination to be loyal to um, a, an entity, whether it's an organization or what have you, uh, that I know isn't going to be loyal to me or doesn't consider me indispensable. 
Uh, and so I find that really admirable because it's a great quality in leadership is leaders have to be loyal. And sometimes you have to sacrifice that loyalty for something much higher. But when you do, you have to let people know and not kind of disguise it or hide it or, or even you know, deny it, if you will. Um, which takes me to Gen X, which their independence, their self-reliance is sometimes absolutely breathtaking, how they can get things done without going and asking for help uh, and they figure it out. And uh, actually can be far more innovative, I think, sometimes in their tendency to be self-reliant than say a baby boomer who, yeah, I'm gonna get help on this because I don't know how to use a smartphone and I typically don't read directions, therefore I'll have my son or daughter or someone help me with it or you know, a friend who's a generation below me. So, um, and then the millennials, I think, I think their impatience or this, um, I don't want to call it impatience because that has negative connotations for sure. But this- a Ambitions? Yeah, ambitions Accelerated is ambitions. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Maybe we'll That's a beautiful that. <laughs> euphemism. Uh, it, it drives them. It drives them to want to change things. And hopefully they'll change the things that my generation kind of, I'm not going to say we screwed things up, but I don't think we handled things in the best way because we didn't have all the information that we needed and there's a whole variety of, of reasons why we are where we are right now in 2019. So um, I think their drive, uh, their ambition, accelerated ambition, uh, I think can really help change the course of not only organizational behavior and politics, but also bleed out into the world too, in, into political arenas and such. I have some, um, I just had a, um, I went to a concert the other night with a good friend of mine who was my coachee. Um, he's a senior manager at a, a medical device company uh, in Colorado, and his son is freaking brilliant. Uh, he won the robotics championship for all of the nation, not just Colorado, but entire nation. We went to a concert the other night. He's 15 years old. Which maybe that's not even millennial. That may be Gen Z, but I think that is Gen Z. Mm -hmm. The kid is so well-spoken, he's so thoughtful, he's attentive, he's respectful. And, and at the end of the night, uh, I know my friend was always telling me, my son Aiden really is very special. I'm going, well, most parents say that, and tell me why. And he say, these, these, these particular qualities. And this man did not lie. He wasn't um, exaggerating. This kid really can change the world, and he's trying. He's trying to use robotics to help clean up the oceans of plastics. His ideas were so um, transcendent. He said, it's up to me now because you and my dad kind of screwed things up. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll admit to that. We, we tried our best. We recycled when people weren't recycling, but granted, it was my generation that put us here um, or helped put us here. So uh, he said, it's up to me now and, and my friends, and, and if his friends are like, he is, mamma mia, we're in good shape. Right. Really, it gave me, I went home that night feeling incredibly optimistic about the future. How powerful of a feeling yeah. generated by someone that, you know, is young, that is, is lacking in experience, but yeah. not in, you know, as you had said, like transcendence, the ability to see what will happen, yeah. what everything looks like that we're not seeing and how far is far, what's great look like and what's possible. I embarrassed myself driving home thinking, what was I doing at 15? I was worried about zits or something. Yeah, what was I doing? I, I mean, I was not a very cool kid in any way. So I can't imagine I was doing anything beyond reading books or sitting at home. I was not. <laughs> I was I definitely reading a lot of books. <laughs> I had nothing no. of interest. Not, and nothing of that impact either at no. that age at no, oh. never won any trophies and certainly robotics. Uh, hello, I'm Absolutely still fascinated I mean, that I can Skype people 
No, this is all Dick Tracy stuff from my generation where you had to watch that little TV. And now, yeah, you have a watch, a, a, a smart watch or the iPhone watch, whatever the heck it is. And you can talk to people on it. Yeah. To me, that's still amazing technology. It is. I mean, the fact that you can call someone from your wrist. I know. We're not that far removed from that first cell phone and what that looked like to knowing no. where it's at today and no. how truly mobile we are. Yeah. And, and technology really has um, shaped the generations in, in very, very different ways. Very different ways. You know, one of the things that we touched on earlier when we dubbed it, and I am a millennial, I'm, I'm that cusper. Uh -huh. So I'm between Gen X and that. And I definitely know the parts of myself as being accelerated ambitious. Is that what we coined it? Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of accelerated ambition in my 20s. Uh -huh. And much of it was way too accelerated for mm -hmm. my own benefit. And okay. so that's self-awareness, my dear. Absolutely. But I don't think I had emotional intelligence until I went through the growing pains of learning it. And that's when I think EQ or emotional intelligence comes in. But you talked about um, what motivates millennials. And yes, mm -hmm. a lot of that is that I want to get to the next level. I want to be promoted. I want this. And that was definitely where I was about 15 years ago in my career. Yeah. What motivates, what motivates you as a baby boomer to do well? <laughs> well, I, I, as a baby boomer, I think I'm a little different than a lot of my baby boomer friends. I've had a lot of different careers, not just jobs. Um, change. So change in my personal life, but also change in my professional life and then change extended outward. I teach because I want to change lives. You don't teach to get paid well. Not even close. So, uh, and I, I'm continually joking with all my classes. I say, I'm not here because I, um, I'm in, I'm in it for the money. I'm here because it's important and significant and meaningful to me to at least change one life in this classroom in the next 16 weeks. And it works. It works because I'm so passionate and committed to my teaching. Uh, so for me, I've always been motivated by changing myself and then um, changing others by sharing um, what I found. And if it's useful, great. If it isn't, you know, ding me on the evaluations at the end and I'll get better. They don't, the evaluations, are, so it's working at least. You're, I think you're authentic. I'm teaching in a business school and have for the last 15 years with a PhD in 19th century American literature. Now, having said that, my focus has always been thorough and Thoreau was a deeply, deeply self-aware, self-managed, uh, emotionally intelligent human being and has a lot to offer philosophically and psychologically. Um, to, and that's why he wrote all these books saying, here, folks, check this out and see if it can change your life. I learned from him at a very young age and have, have used him as my coach and role model for the last 45 years, really. So, yeah, yeah, I, I read him at a very young age and knew that he was going to be a part of my life, intellectually and personally, so. Now, I know that you said yours may be a little bit different than your peers, and this is gonna be dicey because I don't wanna say this in any way that could be misconstrued, but do you feel that, you know, if you're thinking about what motivates you, what do you think motivates your peers? Do you think it's they have that same level of self-awareness? and they want to make that same impact of changing the world? Or do you feel like it's it's that financial piece, which I think is where they're kind of dubbed as, yeah. you know, they want to, they like to work to make that money, right? Yeah. Provide for their family. Yeah. And less about the self-awareness and growth. Not that some of them wouldn't desire that, but that wasn't always the first priority. No, and, and I think my peers uh, are more focused on being secure. And that goes back to the loyalty piece, too. If I'm loyal to you, you'll be loyal to me and secure me a job for the rest of my life. And that's basically what's happened to a lot of them. Um, and as far as change, I, so many, so many of my friends are resistant. I have three friends who are baby boomers. They hate their jobs. They loathe their jobs, but they won't change. I say, why don't you look for, you have so much experience and insight and wisdom from the industry. And all three of them say, I'm afraid to go out there now because there's so many 
um, younger people who know a heck of a lot more uh, than I do. They've forgotten more than I know because they grew up with the technology. They grew up with all this stuff and, and we adapted to it because um, we had stereo systems that were the size of, you know, a coffin. Right. You know, we had the record player in it and the whole deal. Um, whereas, you know, color TV, they never knew when there wasn't color TV. And that's just going way, way, way back for us as baby boomers. You didn't grow up with black and white television. No, I did not. You didn't grow up with a dial telephone. I had a dial telephone. It was a princess phone. Uh, no, it was not a princess. Okay. Actually, my dad had a rotary phone, so oh. I did know how to use that. And then we had, but you know, the, the advancement in technology in terms of the phone for me was the cordless phone. Okay, there you go. So you still had corded phones <laughs> yeah, that yes. as you're talking to a friend, you start walking into the other room so no one would hear you and the phone would pull you back. Right. Well, you'd pull it out of the wall. <laughs> sure. Been there, done that. But then, I mean, when I was 16 or 17, that's when cell phones kind of hit like the market at the mall, like there would be a kiosk in. Yeah. I remember I did have a part-time job, so I bought a cell phone and I had that number for probably one month because that's about as long as I could afford having the phone. Sure, sure. <laughs> and then I didn't get one until college. And I think it's so crazy because my niece and nephew are all, you know, 12, 10, they have phones. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I was at a restaurant the other night and these three little children, none of which exceeded the age of 10, all had their little computers. And their parents were sitting there at the table with their smartphones, while the kids all sat there with computers. And I'm thinking, why the heck don't they talk to each other? Why don't they say, hey kids, how was your day? Well, I uh, killed three orcs on my uh, video game, but there was no engagement. They were all isolated in their little units. And I'm assuming the parents were probably late millennials. Not late, but I guess early millennials, mm -hmm, the sure. older millennials. Sure. And th these were, you know, small children, all with their computers. Now, do you think, and this may be something that we end up going off the record on and not including, but do you think that pressures at work have changed between a baby boomer to a Gen X to a millennial? Mm. Do you feel like the expectations... Like, you know, where baby boomers had the loyalty, but you, you worked hard because you know there was going to be hopefully something that you could gain in that partnership sure. with the organization. And right. now it feels that, and this is just seems kind of epidemic around every generation is expected to do more with less. Yeah. Maybe in a way that they weren't once doing it. And so you think about how we're supposed to do more. We're more plugged in, we're more stressed out, we're processing more information than ever. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess if I was that exhausted, maybe I would give a computer to the, like to my kiddos. I don't have kids, but like, right. you know, like knowing that they're, that work itself mm -hmm. has changed. And yeah. even just our culturally, how work has impacted and our community and our cultural system has also impacted our mental health. I don't think we have the same capacity to handle things sometimes. Like there's that point of exhaustion, which I just think hits earlier in the day than what it may used to. Absolutely. That could be a generalization or just my level of, but I, know, I, I think I'm there's just more some curious. validity like, is there to something it. something there? Like, I think there, well, technology in itself has bled into everything. So I have to be technical at school and also in my consulting practice. Uh, and Again, I think each generation has a certain proficiency and then especially baby boomers can run into a wall and go, oh, okay, I'm not going there. That's way too advanced for me. I'm good with just knowing these applications, but don't get me to you know, adopt any more because I, I already know Excel or you know, whatever. Um, whereas Gen, Gen X is, is far more, I think, a lot of them could be far more advanced than baby boomers. And millennials have it all at this point in, in Gen Z. So, and they can run rings around people technologically, especially baby boomers for the most part. But um, I, I think it, it does bleed into everything. And I think, yes, you do tend to get exhausted. When I go home, typically I'll pick up a book 
and I'll read it. I don't want to look at a monitor anymore. Right. Uh, and I have a house of about 3,400 books, so I have plenty to choose from. Holy cow. Oh, yeah, I know. Don't ask me about How roving. many of those have you reread? Um, I, st I still have three I have to finish, so. Oh, my gosh. No, well, it it's okay. <laughs> I mean, we're reading, but like the technology piece for what, for the developed proficiency that millennial and Gen Z have with technology, I mean, there is a little bit to some extent of a compromise in their ability to socialize. Oh, absolutely. So that, that boomer, though, they may not be as quick to pick up a certain technology, they can form a relationship, handle a absolutely. conflict, have a conversation. Whereas the millennial is so dependent on having that medium be the medium, you know, that medium piece in their conversation. Like everything goes through the phone instead of around the phone. Right. When I talk about managing different generations, uh, when I do my consulting or, or even when, I, I, when I'm in my classrooms or in, in the uh, uh, training room, I'll, I'll say, folks, have been full-blooded Italian having been to Italy countless times and having taught there for a year in Rome, I realized that social media began, at least for me, in Italy, where the piazza was the original Facebook, if you will. So Italians would get together, sit in the piazza, and every village, no matter how large, no matter how small, if it's a city, if it's a town or a hill town, they all have a piazza, or they have several piazzas. And people go and they sit, they have their little coffee, they have their wine, and they talk about their families. They talk about their jobs, they talk about their lives, and they look each other in the eyes and they smile and they gesture. Now, this is what brought on emojis. It's because people can't gesture, they can't see your face as you're talking. So intimacy is lost in technology. And, and I, I say, that's why emojis were invented, to try to replace the intimacy of a face-to-face, -face, personal, one-on-one, -on -one, or you know, a group setting where people are, are smiling at each other, where you see their body language and, and cues uh, that they're displaying in their behavior that you don't see in an email and a text. Even if you do a video of yourself, it still doesn't, it, it doesn't bring in that, that glorious intimacy that I think we're losing because we're relying on technology to do everything for us, to express ourselves, but worse, to impress others with ourselves. So um, there, there needs to be far more expression in the world uh, through technology. And, and we're not there yet. We're not even close to it. I think we're, it's being subtracted rather than added. So No, and that's a big, you know, that is just a big issue how people do use and younger generations do use social media technology to impress, yeah. you know, and that yeah. we could talk about that for a long time because there are a lot of issues that are coming out as that, as a result of using that to impress. Right. But I want to go back to, and this, you know, is just, a, you may or may not have an answer, but I know that, so you've been to Italy a few times, you've spoken, or excuse me, you teach in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. Do you notice generational differences across different cultures? Cultures, yeah. Yeah, I, the funny thing about Italy, so I've been to Italy 26 times. Holy cow, I've so, been there one time. <laughs> oh, okay. I beat you by 25. And one of those times I actually lived there for a year. So uh, I'm very Italian. I was brought up in a culture of Italians in, in Philadelphia. Uh, my grandparents, even two of my great-grandparents who, great who were still alive, were very, very Italian. And... Although they, they learned English, rudimentary English, at least my great-grandparents, uh, they still continued the, the culture. And, and just because I was living in a different country doesn't mean I leave my culture behind. So I, I assimilate incredibly well in Italy, except when it comes to the technology. At least the Italian millennials, it's socially unacceptable to own one cell phone. The more cell phones you, you own, the higher up on the social ladder you are raised. So if you have three, you are so bloody cool, you should run for parliament or you know, just be considered a hero among your friends and, and peers. So it's, that's where technology is taken. Now they've had cell phones far longer than we have because we resisted as a nation because we had all this infrastructure of telephone poles, mm -hmm. right? So we had above ground 
uh, telephone cables and underground fiber networks, they weren't going to just rip all that stuff out because of cell technology. So most of Europe is so advanced in cell technology than we are and will have been for a long time. So um, I've noticed that they, they too rely very heavily on technology, but the cell phone is just kind of a social status symbol. They still sit down and have aperitivo at five o'clock where you have a little glass of wine, you have an, uh, free food. So it's happy hour, Italian style. And they all get together and they share their day and, and they're not loud. I can always tell American culture from Italian culture, especially in restaurants and in um, out, outdoor settings like piazzas. The Americans are much louder than Italians. Italians, they, they consider it rude to be raucous in public, especially to display um, any drunken behavior. So you can tell foreigners anyway, uh, in Italy and, and also in Spain, when I was in Barcelona, um, uh, Spaniards or Catalans, since they consider yeah. themselves Catalans, uh, do not display, present themselves in an inebriated manner in, in public. You don't do that. It's just low class. So it's disrespectful to the culture. Well, the American students, what two at least that I had brought with me, or eh, I'd have to say, guys, behave. You're not back home now. You're not in Denver, you're in Barcelona. So they got the message after a while. But uh, again, you know, I think technology as far as international cultures, they have advanced technology. They rely on it, but they still go back to the intimacy piece because it's so deeply embedded in the culture and you will never replace it with technology. Right. They will not dismantle um, piazzas and say, okay, folks, you can do all the same thing you're doing here on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everything else. Not even close. Not even close. You're making me want to go and sit in a piazza right oh, now. Oh, you! I, I <laughs> want to go and sit in a piazza right now. Trust me. Um, Asian culture is a little bit different. They're they're the Instagram group. Uh, whether they're Korean, Japanese, Vietnamese, um, uh, Chinese, very much into uh, tendency of of the Instagram sort of take all those pictures. I, it was funny because. Uh, when we were in Barcelona, there was lines and lines of Asian tourists, uh, and they were younger tourists, in front of the Gothic Cathedral in the Gothic Quarter in downtown Barcelona. And they were taking pictures, continuous pictures, same person, uh, no, no, do this pose and do that pose. And it was orchestrated. It was like a, a fashion shoot. And they would take, I don't know, maybe 20 pictures. And I said, what the heck? And then the, ne the next person would come up and the next person. I said, what's going on here? And one of my students, the, actually the one who doesn't have the smartphone, Caitlin said, oh, that's for Instagram. You've got to get the perfect picture and then you post it on Instagram. And I went, you've got to be kidding. So I'm so far behind on that stuff. I'm far behind and I'm a millennial. Every well, time people ask me for tech things, I mean, I'm sure if, my friends are listening. They can attest to the fact that I'm awful at texting. Uh -huh. My husband always makes fun of me because I don't know how to use a GIF or an emoji. And it's not that I don't know how. I just, just don't do want not to. care. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Like, I don't right. want to sit and look for the person. Because to me, that like I'm just spending more time on something. If I'm trying to make fast communication, I don't want to search for five minutes to find the perfect picture that's going to support my message. I don't even have better things to do so much as I just don't want to invest my time that way. You know what? You're probably better off. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm just not interested in doing it. Although I found it unusual that somebody um, was joking with me and sent me an emoji and they, it was flipping me the bird. Uh, uh, now, why is this an emoji for everybody to use for that matter? You know, but it's out there and I guess there are probably boundaries have just kind of crumbled. That. Oh, I'm sure there are. Yeah. No, well, Jim, I really enjoyed our conversation and we like to wrap up every single interview with one final question, uh -huh. which is, what is your leadership habit for success? My leadership habit for success is to continually be
be seeking change in myself and in the people that I lead. If you consider my students, I am basically their leader, right. uh, both MBAs and, and undergraduates. And in the people when I'm in, in training organizations is, it, it, it again, goes back to my whole baby boomer concept of about for me, uh, change is, is one of the most important elements for me. Uh, when uh, I want to, if I'm going to be sharing information to change people's lives, I want them to share back so I can help change mine. I'm not just this vessel of all this wisdom and, and insight. I wish I were. Uh, ultimately, hopefully I get there when I die, but pff, it's going to take a hell of a long time. But um, I want to change too. So it's, it's, a, it's not a transaction for me. Uh, leadership, it's, it's got to be transformational, especially in my coaching is, yes, uh, you hired me and you're paying me to help change the way you behave as a manager, or as a leader. But I, I will also seek to change in this, too, in, in how I present myself to you and how you respond to me and how you change or don't change. If you don't, I've got to change the way I come and present myself to you and, and the questions that I ask and, and, and how our relationship continues to develop. So, you know, change is the only thing that's constant. So and I love might that as well too. stick with it. Each person you meet is your teacher and your student. You got it. And your commitment to being objective, right? I mean, yeah. especially along the topic of generations and saying that we aren't. So Jim and I have talked a lot and just because we're talking about some of the generalizations out there does not mean that you are necessarily in this box. We know that there are plenty of people that don't identify within those constraints, but I, you know, it's really, it was really nice for me to hear your commitment to just seeing people as people yeah. and meeting them where they are and seeing what type of an impact you can have on them as well as the impact that they can have on you. Absolutely. And, and everyone can change. Absolutely. So that's the great part. Yes, you're not a tree, right? <laughs> I might change to be a little more assertively ambitious. So. <laughs> Accelerated. There you go. Yeah, that one too. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jim, oh, for welcome. being here. I enjoyed our conversation. I did too, Jim. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode and our conversation with Jim Lopresti. If you'd like to get to know more about Jim, connect with him on LinkedIn, and you can find his information in our show notes. If you're looking for opportunities to develop your leadership skill set, head on over to crestcom.com. There you can learn more about our 12-month leadership development program and find out how to schedule a leadership skills workshop for your team. Stay tuned for next week as we interview Steve Bourne as he shares his Gen X perspective on working in a generationally diverse workforce.